You are listening to House of Rest Church in Modesto, California by Pastor David Rocha. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our website is www.houseofrestchurch.com. Thank you so much. Each Sunday morning, every single sermon is uploaded into our podcast so you can be blessed wherever you are at. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, because they're here again. You know, thank you, because I don't, you, you know, the fact is this, is sooner or later somebody's going to be missing. It could be you, it could be somebody else. You want to send the children three to five out? Okay, children three to five. You know, so um, it's something that we need to appreciate. And not just holidays, you know, it should be every day. But holidays are good landmarks to just kind of, you know how um, stores, stores do inventory. There's nothing wrong with doing an inventory of who's, who, who's there in your family. You know, and we just got to be thankful. And we thank God, you know. Um, Lord God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that you speak through me, Lord. Because this is your pulpit, and I thank you. These are your people. We are all your people, and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I have this... Um, like Sharon was saying, that song, that new one she did, um, when I heard it was when we were working on the building. I don't remember what day it was, but everybody that was here was in the front rooms. I don't remember what day that was. It might have been when the fence was getting put up. And she had worship music playing here just all day long, and that song came on about the seal being broken. And, um, and I was just sitting up there, and it just broke me. It really broke me, and I told her, I said, man, I want to preach on that. I want to preach on that, and, and, and then, um, you, know, the, uh, you know, the Christmas special service came. So I've been holding this for like two weeks, and I've been wanting to share this. And I said, you know, I want to talk about this because I think it's important. Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of times when we don't know the context of something, we don't understand how good it is. And I just really, honestly, I want to make a huge commercial for that song. That's what the sermon's going to be, because I want you to enjoy it as much as I enjoy it. And by doing that is, is kind of talking about what exactly is happening in that song and what it's describing and what it's saying. And I'll let you be the judge of it, because I do want Sharon to sing it again after the service, after, you know, for altar call. But maybe with a better understanding of what that song means. Because it truly is a powerful song. You know, and sometimes you'll hear songs like, there's a lot of worship songs that are good. But how many of you agree that, for me, maybe it's just me, but when a song is, is um, there's a lot of great worship songs, praise songs, but when something is literally taken out of Scripture, it just makes it that much more special. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And um, so I'm calling today's sermon, Only He Can Break the Seal. Only He can break the seal. I want to start with this scripture right here, Revelation 5.2. We're going to be um, reading out of the book of Revelation, which is, which is the last book in the Bible. And uh, it goes like this. It's a question. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? We've 
We just sang the song, so you guys said, okay, that sounds familiar, it sounds like that. But what I want to do is break this thing down. Break this thing, break it down completely, like, to, so we get a full understanding of this, you know. And um, many times when you, if you get a, a, a picture of something, a really nice picture, um, you just kind of glance at it, you look at it, and you move on. But when you get a puzzle of something, you have to stare at that that picture for a long time because you're piecing it one by one by one. So what ends up happening is you end up looking at that picture different because you, you, you created it in a sense or you put it together. And what I want to do is put this thing together so we can appreciate what it is Scripture is saying here about who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Uh, number one is, I'm not sure... A lot of us don't have an understanding. The reason I say this uh, of... of of the throne of God is uh, I'm trying to articulate it in, in a way where I don't I don't ramble on, but biblically speaking, God speaks in legal terms many times. He looks at things in a legal way. As a matter of fact, the throne room many times in Scripture is it's talked interchangeably like a courtroom. How many of you have ever been in a courtroom? Yeah. Are you guys telling on yourself? <laughs> the ones that laughed are the ones that were in criminal court. But it can be a scary place. It can be a scary place. You know, and it's very cold and sanitized. And everything's brick and mortar and marble and depending on which where you go to court, you know. And, but it's a courtroom, nonetheless. You walk in right away, and it's not a living room. It's not a lounge. It is a courtroom. Yeah. And uh, uh, in this day and age right now, we're going... See, church history, in church history, we see God in different ways. It's funny. Because one generation will take God so serious that they, take, they overdo it. So then the next generation says, man, these guys are too harsh. So we're going to be lighter. So then they become too, too loose. And then their, their kids grow up and say, man, my parents, they just did any old thing. We're going to bring this back to Scripture. So it's like Christianity is always on a wave. Nothing wrong with that. That's just humanity. That's just the way it is. We're always overcorrecting ourselves. Uh, if you ever look at a plane that's going from Oakland to Denver, if you would look at it from space, you wouldn't see the plane go a straight line. It would actually be going like this. Because it's always overcorrecting because the world is spinning and it's up in the air. So the plane is always correcting itself, but then it overcorrects. And then it has to go back this way. So in a sense, that's what Christianity does. You know, so right now, we're at a time in Christianity where everything's real loose. Like anything goes in Christianity. You know, sometimes it's like, you want to be in the world, just come to the church. Because it's more worldly than, than the world is sometimes. You know, and it's like, it's, it's we're in that season. So I say all that to say this is that when that happens, we fail to see the throne room of God as a courtroom. Because in court, people get judged. And that's a bad word in Christianity right now. You know, so is it the throne room of God? Is it the presence of God? Is it the kingdom? Is it, yes, it's all those things, but it's also a courtroom. And I want to show this to you in Scripture. You know, like even in the Old Testament, if you ever see, if you ever read the stories it always says that, um, for instance, um, Abraham was looking for Lot, his nephew. 
And he was at the gate of the city. What does that mean? Because at the gate of the city was where everything happened. Everybody in politics, anybody in power, anybody that had money, they would go to the gate of the city. So any city you went to in those old times, if you wanted to talk to somebody about buying land or whatever, or, or whatever it was you needed to do of importance, in a sense, the city gate was the city hall or the capital or the White House. So it was really key and important, right? So... The gates of the city was where all decisions were made. Why do you think when the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about gates? Because it's where decisions are made. Okay? So, think about this also, right? The commandments were laws. They were laws. The commandments and the laws and the Mosaic law, they were rules, regulations, laws. Where are laws made? In a courtroom. Right? So we can see, and I'm going to show you a couple examples just to, to, to really pin this thing down. Because I don't want you to think I'm, I'm just thinking this out of thin air. Because the courtroom, the, the throne room of God is a courtroom. And, and it's like, why is this important? Because many times we need to recognize that even though when you go to court, that judge is a human, that whether it's a woman or a man, they eat, they get tired, they sleep just like you, but nevertheless, they have authority at that moment. So many times we need to approach God. Yes, he's our friend. Yes, he's our God. Yes, he's our savior. But he's in a courtroom, and nobody sits in the courtroom unless you're a judge. Okay. So the very fact that commandments were laws leads us in that direction that it was a courtroom. I want to show you a couple quick examples. Check this out. In Job 1, 6 and 7. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth. And from walking back and forth on it. So here we are. We see God in the throne room. Right? What is it, what, isn't it called in court when you go present yourself? Present yourself before the judge? On the day of the Lord, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. It is a courtroom. It is a courtroom where the judge can ask anybody there anything, and he tells Satan, where have you been? And he has to answer, because he's in court. So that's one example I want to talk about. The next one, look at this, Isaiah 9, 6-7, one of my favorite verses of the Bible. I know I say that about a lot of verses, but really, this is one of my favorites of the Bible. And it says this, it says, For unto us a son is born. For unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. There it is again. Government. Courtrooms. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When was the child born? We just celebrated, right? So who's it talking about? Jesus. And upon his shoulders, the government will sit upon his shoulders. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. Oh, another courtroom word. Justice. From that time forward, ever, even forever. 
you know, and, and I'm going somewhere with this, right? And, and it's like these are things that we have to get a deep understanding of because, you know, I, I know I'm going to meet him someday. I know I'm going to stand before him someday. I know I'm going to, you know, when, when I was fighting my case, um, all the inmates do this, right? And they can do it out of their heart. They can do it just try to get a good sentence. But like in federal court, it takes months and months and months to get sentenced. It takes a long time, man. You'll be sitting, if you don't get bonded out of federal, you, will, you could be in there for two months, two, two years, three years fighting your case, and you're not even sentenced yet. The feds will just hold you, and they'll say, oh yeah, you came to court, and then they'll make your court date five months from now. And then you go to court, and they'll be like, oh, so-and-so's on vacation? All right, four months from now. And it'll just keep going and going and going. So this is what the federal inmates do. They say, listen, since you're going, the, the, your lawyer will say, since you're going to be here a long time before you actually get sentenced, do as many programs as you can and get certificates and get your GED if you don't have it or do this or do that or join a college or do something. That way, when you do stand before the judge, you have something to show that you've been doing instead of just playing dominoes because it looks better. You can't sit there in front of the judge and say, I'm trying to better myself. What have you done? Uh, uh, you know? So it's like you want to come unto God in the same way. You know, I know he's going to, I'm going, we are each going to stand in the throne room, in the courtroom of God, every single one of us. You, there's nothing you can do to get away from that. There's nothing. And I know that the things we do don't, you, you can't work your way into heaven. There's nothing you can do. That is why he redeems us. That is why he died for us by the, by the shed blood of the lamb. Because of the, his blood that's upon us, we are allowed in. Nevertheless, I, would, I want to be able to say, Lord, I did everything I could while I was here on this earth. I preached your word. I taught. I, I did everything I could. I, I lived the living example of this thing. I wanted to do the best. And, and many times I believe that no matter what we've done on this earth, I think we're still going to be broken because we don't fully understand how holy of a God he is until we stand before him. How do I know this? Because in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was a good man of God. He was a prophet. He looks at God, sits in the throne room and says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't even speak in your presence. But here's the thing is I know that when I stand before the Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't, I, I don't know. I love that, that one song. I can only imagine. Am I going to dance? Am I going to just fall as if I'm dead? What am I going to do? I don't know. But one thing I thank God is I would rather kneel to him here on earth than there as, his, as my judge. Because the Bible says, every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. I'd rather bow my knee now. Yep. So in heaven, it's a courtroom. In heaven, it's a government. In heaven, he's the judge. And we can't forget that. We can't forget it, you know, and I was like, what am I going to preach as we come out into 
into, out of 2019 into 2020, what can I do to impact us? What can I do to, to, to kind of put a fire underneath us? What can I do to get us going forward? Because it's like, I know that, that from December 31st to the 1st, nothing really changes. It's just another day. But nevertheless, we, we look at milestones in life or things in life. We're like, I'm going to change after this. I'm going to do something after this. It's like, this, and I think this is important. This is why I wanted to talk about this. Because I think this is key in the direction that we're going to go or not go in our, in our life in Christ. So I say all this to talk about the scroll. So in the, in the Bible, in the book of Revelation... Um, you can read it for yourself. We're not going to read because I'm going to talk about a lot and it would involve me reading a whole lot. But I want you to just, on, on your own time. Actually, I do want to start it with this. Watch. Well, man, I don't want to go back yet. Let's go back. John, the apostle, the one that walked with Jesus, he was the youngest of the apostles. By this time, when he wrote Revelation, he was in prison. He was thrown onto an island called Patmos. He wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. He wouldn't stop preaching about Jesus. All the other disciples had died already. Not died, they'd been killed. They'd been martyred. Every single one of them. He was the last one left. He didn't go around uh, not hurt, though. Matter of fact, he was bald alive a couple times. And he didn't die. I imagine that he probably looked pretty bad. But he wouldn't stop preaching. He wouldn't stop spreading the gospel. And he, as he's on this island as an old man, all the apostles are dead. And he's in prison. The book of Revelation is actually a vision that he had. So he actually had this vision and wrote it down and it's the last book of our Bible. So it's crazy because what happens is he comes into the presence of God and he, when, when he sees Jesus, he sees someone, didn't know who it was. He was just amazed, was trying to describe what it was he was seeing and he realizes it was Jesus. And at that moment, he just falls down like he's dead. And the Lord lifts him up. And he says, I was the one that died and I'm alive again. And I'll be alive forever. And he comes into the very presence of God. The, actually, the Bible says, um, I'm going to forward to the, check this out. See these uh, three stones? He tries to describe the throne of God. He tries. He, he says that he sees a throne in the center. And, and around the throne or around there, he says, I see like, like jasper and sardius stone and a, like a rainbow around made out of emerald. So he described these three, jasper, sardius, and an emerald. And, and like the rainbow, so it's not saying he sees a rainbow, but a rainbow of emerald. And he sees this vision, and I, I describe it like this. is He's trying to describe the undescribable. 
He's trying to have you, how many of you, just even on this earth, if you've ever felt the presence of God and you're talking to a non-believer, how do you describe that? How do you even relate to that? How do you do it? You can't even find the words. So imagine John being in heaven and seeing the very throne of God. And he's like, I don't know. It was like, it was like, it was like Jasper. It was like, it was like emerald, like, like a rainbow, like an emerald. I, I don't know. He's just trying to describe this thing and trying to, and in best of his ability. And it says, not only was it the throne room of God, but there was 24 elders all around him. 24 elders, and they were all wearing these white robes. And, and each of them had a crown of gold on their head. And he's, he's trying to describe this. And I found a picture that I thought was pretty cool. So these 24 elders in this I imagine, I love the fact that they did put a figure in the middle because his glory is so glorious that you can't picture him. How many of you, you know, and I'm not saying this, is, this happens to everyone or this is, I'm not saying this is the way it looks, but how many of you have ever had a dream or a vision of God and he's too bright, you can't even look at him, man. You know, I remember I had a dream one time and Jesus had his back turned toward me, but I, somehow I knew it was him. And, and he was talking to me, but the moment that he went like that, I couldn't see him, and I fell. You know, when I have dreams like that, which aren't very many, I know it's of God. It's not just something I made up or because anything else, because it's like the glory of God, it's too much. Anyways, I love the fact that they put him like that. And in Revelation, when he sees it, not only did he see the throne and the 24 elders wearing white robes and golden crowns, but he saw four creatures. That were flying around the throne. And these four creatures had six wings. And they covered their eyes with two of them. And they flew with the other two. And they covered their feet. And they kept singing the song saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And, and the, 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 he says, out of the throne was like lightning and thunder and voices. He's trying to describe and put into words. But I, I feel like he, he couldn't. He's just trying to describe this. And he says there are these four creatures and, and they had wings and they had eyes all around them. And you're like, man, that sounds like some Disneyland stuff. I'm like, no, 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 check this out. Seriously. Imagine this. Imagine a thousand years ago and you lived in the desert. Thousands of miles from the ocean. Okay, You just live in the desert. You, you're father lived in a desert, your mother, your grandparents, everybody, all you've known is is, is, is is cactus and desert and sand. And if somebody comes along from the ocean and he comes passing through and you're like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from, you know, the ocean. Well, what's an ocean? Oh, it's, it's water. It's, it's like water. It's, it's the way the sand is here, where I come from, the water's like that. And the person will say, what are you talking about? I don't understand that. What do you mean water? Because all he's seen is streams and rain. And he's trying to describe this thing to him. He's like, no, it's like water. It's like, it's like glass. It's like glistening, and it just shines and sparkles, and, it, and it's just as far as I can see. And I imagine the person from the desert would be like, that makes no sense. That sounds like Disneyland. Oh, no, I haven't told you yet, man. There's these creatures in the water. 
And I want to tell you about this one. It's called an octopus, and it has eight legs, and they're like moving like this, you know? And, and it has a big old head and a mouth and like a beak under. Dude, you're telling me fantasies. No, I'm telling you, they're real. And the guy from the desert says, that doesn't make no sense. Uh, no, man, I'm telling you. There's this thing called an octopus, and it changes color. And he can get in and out of things. It's like a little hole, and he's big, but he'll squeeze himself out. And Oh, yeah, it shoots out ink, by the way. What? Yeah, and then I was traveling over here, and I came through a forest, you know, because I came out of the, the ocean, and I wanted to get away from those octopus because they look crazy. So I, I had to walk through these mountains, and I, I saw a bear. What's a bear? Well, it's like a... Because the desert guy, all he sees is desert rats and some birds and some snakes. It's a big old animal, furry. Big, t- you know, so you get what I'm saying. So we got to take that in mind when we see John talking about the things of heaven. Don't write it off as Disneyland or fantasy. When he sees something, just because you and I haven't seen it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That's the point I'm trying to make. So he sees these four creatures, and the Bible says that they never rest. They're always worshiping. They're literally right there around the throne when they're worshiping. So all day in the throne room, they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, over and over and over and over. And he sees the 24 elders, and they're wearing white robes, and they have gold crowns. And all they, and, and the elders, he sees the elders, and they fall down on their knees before the throne of God. And they begin to worship the one on the throne. And they begin to speak. The elders, they, get, they, take, their, they take their crown off. And they throw it at the feet of him on the throne. You guys know, I mean, it doesn't take the rocket scientists to know this, that kings don't throw their crowns at anyone because they're kings. Yet these four, 24 elders felt that they were so beneath the one on the throne that their kings, like their kingship, their everything, they throw it to the feet of him on the throne. And they begin to say something. They say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Powerful scene that John saw. And it always blows me away. I remember reading it as a kid, because when I was a kid, we went to Spanish churches. And I've told some of you before that Spanish is not my first language. I understand it better than I speak it. But when I hear Spanish, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. But when I hear, even to this day, when somebody speaks to me in Spanish, I have to translate it into English, and then I understand it. I don't think in Spanish. Like, think about it. Have you ever thought about it? What what language do you think in? Those of you that are bilingual. I've asked this many times to people. Like, you speak English good, you speak Spanish good, what do you think in? Have you ever asked that? Or just, I just ask weird stuff, maybe. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's weird. What do you think in? Right? Mainly English. Watch, some, somebody will be like, I think in tongues. You know, like, okay. Um... What was I getting at? So, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. So I'd be in these little Spanish churches, and my, my mom and I made a little deal, because I didn't want, it was too much work. 
And you got to understand, the small Pentecostal churches I went to were like three and a half hour services. Like they would worship for 90 minutes. And then they're like, okay, who wants to give testimony? And everybody and their mom wanted to give a testimony about something simple. Like, oh yeah, I went and I thought I had half a sugar. And then I went and it was full sugar. Praise God. You know what I mean? Like every crazy testimony. And then she goes, I don't want to sing a song about it now. You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> so two and a half hours later, then the pastor comes with a word. In Spanish. And I got to do the translate thinking thing. That's too much work. I, I was exhausted. So like by the time that service was over, my brain was fried. My mom would pinch me if I didn't pay attention. I couldn't fall asleep. I just got to be looking to the guy preaching in Spanish. So I'm like, mom, this ain't going to work out. We're going to make a deal here. <laughs> so I was an avid reader. Still an avid reader. I love reading. So my mom made this deal. She goes, okay, listen, this is the only way you get out of not listening to him. Is every time he starts preaching, I want you to read the Bible right next to him. Heck yeah. You know how many times I read David and Goliath over and over and over? I would read through the Gospels, and one of the things that fascinated me was the book of Revelation. Because of just all this imagery was amazing to me. So I've had a long time to think about this stuff and just imagine this stuff and how amazing... It must have been for John to see. You know what's crazy is you and I are going to see it someday. We're all going to see it someday. Hopefully, all of us are going to be allowed to come in. So John sees this. And then this goes into this scripture that I wanted to get to. Oh, that was a scroll. I'll get to that. Somebody said pizza? Not everybody here knows who's hungry. What? <laughs> so Revelation 4, after he sees all this, sees these things, sees the throne, all these things, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door is standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And John says, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. I love the fact that it says one sat on the throne. There's only one God. That's it. Nobody else. In Isaiah, he says, I am God, and nobody stands before me. Nobody stands beside me, I mean, it says. So he sees this and taken up in the spirit, sees the throne room of God. And he sees all these people, the, the elders worshiping and the angels singing and the seraphim, those, those creatures all around him. And then it says this. This is not a pizza or a tamale. It's a scroll. Back then they didn't have books, they had scrolls. You know, you've seen the books where they open the scrolls. And they have a seal. A lot of the Roman people, they carried a certain ring. Everybody had their own ring. People had rings. That way you would put it into this stuff. I don't know what it was. Or like a wax, yeah. And you go like this, and you would put your emblem. That way nobody could forge your seal. 
and then you have that delivered. That way the person that gets it knows this is official because it has your seal on it. Okay. So all of a sudden, I don't have it up here, but I'm going to read it. In Revelation 5, 1, 2, it says this. It says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So remember, everybody's worshiping the elders and everybody's around him. And the one that sat on the throne in his right hand who sat, he had a scroll that was written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll or to look at it? So the strong angel doesn't say his name. Remember, all this stuff that's going on, all these things in heaven, the elders are bowing down, they're worshiping, they're throwing their crowns, and a strong angel comes and says, who is worthy to open the scroll and look at it? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So this is an important document. Obviously, obviously, it's an important document. Not only does it have one seal, it has seven seals, and nobody is worthy to open it. No one in heaven, no one on the earth, and no one under the earth is able to open it. And in verse 4, John says, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Nobody was worthy of it. Some people might say, what, what was so important about the scroll? What was the big deal about the scroll? Why was it written in front and in back? Why did it have seven seals? Here's the thing. Back then at that time, if, if, if somebody, your great-grandfather, was wealthy, he would write a will. Right? And back then, to make that will official, it had to be sealed. This scroll was a will of what God was going to do for his people. Why did, he ever, why did he cry? Why did John cry? Because John knew that Jesus came. He knew that Jesus died. He knew that Jesus resurrected. Now he's in the throne room and he sees the throne and he sees the elders and he sees uh, the creatures worshiping and he sees all this and he sees in the right hand of him who sat on the throne he sees this scroll and no one can open it. You know, it's like the, it doesn't say it here but it makes me think why is John the one that wept? How come nobody else cried? It doesn't mention anyone else crying. It mentions John crying. And I, I feel that this is just opinion. I don't know. But I feel like John was saying, wait a second. You're telling me then that he died for nothing? Everything he did for us, everything to bring us into the new covenant, everything to bring his Holy Spirit unto us, everything this church being established, and everything that Jesus has done can't be unleashed yet because nobody is able to open the scroll. You might have $2 billion in a will, but if you don't have a lawyer to open that will, you ain't getting nothing. 
You understand? Imagine if you were just completely homeless and you had a wealthy family member that dies and, and they gave everything to you. But you can't get it until somebody opens the will. Until somebody opens the scroll. So John begins to weep. Because nobody can open the scroll. I'm going to find this part real quick. Because like I said, I didn't put it up. But I want to read it to you. In Revelation... This is the one that we, we I'm just going to read the, some of the parts that we read already, but I want you to check this out. It says, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll. Or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me. Remember there was 24 elders. And they threw their crown down. One of them spoke to John. And he tells him. Man don't weep. Don't weep. Don't cry. He says behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Why is this good news to us? Because basically it's like this. Everything that we are, everything we are in, we are in the period of grace. We are in the period of His forgiveness. We are in the period of His mercy. We are in a period of we can be made into a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. We are in the time and the period where the Holy Spirit has been poured out on this earth. None of this would have been viable if somebody couldn't come along and open the scroll. And this thing is that nobody in heaven... And we understand that in heaven by this time, Abraham is there, Isaac was there, Jacob was there, King David was there, the prophets were there, Isaiah was there. All of these people, all these great people, Ruth was there, Naomi was there, uh, Esther was there. All of these people were there in heaven and nobody was able to open the scroll. And, but the, but the, 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 the elder, what does he say? He was the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one because he prevailed. He's the one that can open the scroll. He's the only one that is found worthy to open the scroll. And he says, and I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne. He was right there in the middle of the throne. And of the four living creatures. And in the midst of the 24 elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Verse 7. It says, Then he came, talking about Jesus, and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. See, I love the fact when Jesus is on the cross, and he says, it is finished. 
And you've heard me preach before that when he says it's finished, I believe that he was looking right at the enemy's eyes. Because there's nowhere else Satan would be but right there on Calvary. He wanted to make sure that this person, this Jesus, was finally going to die and Satan thought he was going to take over. And I truly believe that Jesus looked at his people, looked at the enemy, and said, it is finished. Everything I said I was going to do from the beginning, it is done, it is complete. So there's two things that Jesus did that the Bible says. The Bible says that he went into Hades and he took the keys out of Hades and death. What does that mean? It means that death had no power anymore. Death has no strength. Death has no authority anymore. Jesus died. He said it's finished. Then he goes and takes the keys of Hades and of death. So he goes to the depths and said, that's all mine. Just straight pump them. And as a rightful king, he appears in heaven in the midst of worship, in the midst of the scroll being held, in the midst of John weeping that nobody is worthy, nobody is worthy. Jesus comes and he says, I'll take that. So in this hand, he has the keys of Hades and of death. In this hand, he takes the scroll because he's worthy. He is worthy. He came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It's crazy because the Bible says now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. This is what's crazy and this is what's a great mystery and that the Bible says that, that um, great is a mystery of God, that God was manifested in the flesh. It doesn't make sense because we have God sitting on the throne and we have Jesus come and he takes the, the scroll. And the Bible describes this, that, uh, that everything in God, everything was him, was put into Christ. Everything was transferred over. And he took on, because before that, God was an invisible God. Nobody could see him. Even scripture says you can't even see him. He is a spirit. But actually in Genesis it says that his spirit hovered over the waters of the earth. But all of a sudden, Jesus takes full authority. He's crowned the king. He is the one that died and resurrected again. He's the one that has the keys of Hades and the death. He's the one that takes the scroll, the only one that is worthy to open this will that's in our life and our future. And we had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four elders fell down before the lamb and having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Check this out. This is insane. So for all eternity, these creatures were saying, worthy, worthy, worthy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, we're talking centuries and hundreds of years and thousands of years and millions of years. The same song being played. But all of a sudden, the Lamb of God comes and he takes the scroll. And out of nowhere, they began to sing a new song. And they began to sing this to Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign 
on the earth. So all of a sudden Jesus came and a new song began to be sung. A new worship began to happen. This had never happened before. It's like a lot of times we see what Jesus did on the cross and he died and there was an earthquake and there was an eclipse and everything went dark and we're like, man, that's crazy that that happened on the earth. What's crazier is for us to not realize what happened underneath the earth and what happened in the heavenlies also. His resurrection did not just affect us on earth. His resurrection affected all of creation. Everything in creation it affected So only he's worthy. So you're like, David, that's cool. Why did you say that for a Bible study? What does that have to do with the sermon? That's how you're bringing the new year in? Just check this out. Here's the thing. This is the thing. That if no one could open the scroll of the will of humanity, only Jesus. And if only he is worthy, something that important, something nobody in heaven can open, nobody in earth can open, nobody under the earth can open, only Jesus can open this important document. What makes you think that he can't open the things in your life? What makes you think that he can't open the things in your in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your children, in your job, in your finances, and in your health? What makes you think you can't sing a song and say he is worthy to open my life? He is worthy to open my marriage. He is worthy to bring healing on my body. He is worthy to bring revival to the gospel and to the world. What makes you think that? Come on, man. We are worshiping Jesus, the only one that is worthy. Not Muhammad, not Allah, not anybody else, not Confucius, not these false gods, not anything. Not your favorite football team, not your favorite baseball team. Not the president of the United States or some king of some other country. It is only Jesus Christ. Only he is worthy. So when I heard that song, I got the lyrics of part of that song. I'm gonna read it. I'm not gonna sing it. It says, is anyone worthy? It says, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. And I'm here to tell you, this is how we're going to come into the new year. Turn this kind of low. Because I don't know about you, but I want to come into 2020 stronger than I came into it. God has put us in a position and a place to be here at this very place for a reason. There's greater, greater things that are coming. And I, I know this. is um, 
You know, there's a show we've been watching. Uh, what's it called? Greenleaf. Who's seen Greenleaf? It's about this church. And at first I was entertained. Basically, so you who haven't seen it, it's basically about this mega church family. And, and Sharon was, oh, let's watch this together. You know, maybe it's about a church. And I knew it was secular. I knew it wasn't Christian. But I was like, yeah, sure, let's watch it. And the more I watched it, the more it broke my heart. And then I started thinking this. I started thinking, because basically, it's corrupt. The pastor's corrupt. The pastor's wife is corrupt. The worship leaders are... I mean, they have so much alcohol they're drinking in that show. There's so much... Uh, immorality going, sexual morality, this and that, all kinds of stuff going on. And at first I was like, man, this is crazy. It's entertaining. Okay, it's a show. But then my heart broke because I started realizing, please let this not be what normal people see everywhere. Is this what it's come down to? I pray that people watch this saying, man, this is way out. This is Hollywood. Instead, I pray people are saying, oh, yep, that's how that church was. Yep, that's how it is. And I have a feeling that more people relate to that than not relate to it. And I'm like, maybe we're the odd ones and that's normal now. But this is how I want to come into the new year. I want to tell you this, is that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll of your life. He is worthy to break the chains from your life. He is worthy and able to loosen the bondage in your life. And maybe you've been here, and I thank God you've been here, but you come every time in bondage like a mummy. You come in like a spiritual mummy every single Sunday, every single time you come in just completely bound. And I thank God you come, and praise God you come. But you still come, and you come bound, and you come, and maybe you shed a tear, maybe you read some scripture, maybe you sing the songs, but every time after service you go back home in bondage, completely wrapped up. And I'm here to tell you, only one person can loose you. Because only one person can break the seal. Only one person can break the seal of alcoholism. Only one person can break the seal of addiction. Only one person can break the seal of depression. Only one person can break the seal of hatred. Only one person can break the seal that is tying you up and ready. He wants to open you up and loose you so you can do what it is that you're called to do in this world. So why not coming into 2020? Why not? Doesn't 2020 mean perfect vision? Let's come into this thing with perfect spiritual vision. So we're going to sit here and open this altar. And I want you to come. If you feel like, man, I, I, I don't want 